President Trump pitches his record, Democrats pitch President Trump's racism, and the media push themselves as Election Day finally arrives. It's here. It's come. The great battle of our time. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So if it sounds like I'm being flippant about this election, it's because I'm being a little flippant about this election. It's not because I don't think it's important. I actually think it's very important. But every time there's an election, we are told that it is the most important election of our lifetime, that by tomorrow, everyone will be dead. Their corpses will be strewn across the wasted landscape of the United States. I'm not so into that. I'm going to explain what the election means, what the election doesn't in just one second. First, let's talk about the rhetoric that you read in the news. So when you look at the news and you look at what the news has to say about Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation, it's pretty obvious that the media are trying to solidify the left for today's midterms, which means that it's going to be a battle for the House. I mean, a real battle. Here's what's at stake if the Democrats take it. A lot of positive policies the Republicans have enacted over the past couple of years, all the stuff they've done to help the economy, tax cuts, judicial appointments, withdrawal from the Iran deal, all that stuff could be stymied if Democrats take control of either House, which looks like a serious possibility. And when they start to obstruct, what effect could that have on the dollar, on stocks, on other unknowns that might impact your savings? What is your plan? Can you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? Everyone's savings plan should be at least a little bit diversified. Mine is and yours should be too. The company I trust with precious metal purchases, Birch Gold Group. Right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for folks who want to protect that hard-earned retirement from any future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically, and when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold does tend to safeguard savings. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Right now, contact my friends over at Birch Gold to request a free information kit on physical precious metals. It's a comprehensive 16-page kit showing how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can move that IRA or 401k into precious metals if that's something you want to do. To get your no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com slash Ben. Again, that's birchgold.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now, birchgold.com slash Ben. So here we are. Election Day. Now, a couple of quick notes about Election Day. Today, you're going to hear a bunch of celebrities tell you, you must vote. You're going to hear a bunch of media people talking about the wonders of American voting. And it's true. It's an incredible thing that we get to decide the future of our politics in this country. It's also a day when we remember that the people that we wouldn't trust to pick up our mail are going to decide how our families live. So that's kind of depressing. And it's a reminder that you know what's the best way to run a democracy? to not give the government power in the first place. I'm talking to you, Democrats. I'm talking to you, Republicans. I'm talking to everyone. If the government were less powerful, if the government were not all that important in your life, then you would not care all that much about the outcome of the election. You'd have a stake in voting, but it wouldn't feel like a life or death thing. And for a lot of folks today, I mean, when the election results start flowing in tonight, people are going to lose their minds. People are just going to lose it because whichever way it goes, people are going to think it's the end of the world. If the Democrats sweep, Republicans are going to feel as though they are under the gun again, just like during the Obama years. And if the Republicans sweep, Democrats are going to feel like the democracy is at an end. In reality, is our democracy at an end? No, it's not. And if gridlock ensues because Democrats win the House, that would be bad for a variety of reasons, which is why you should go out and vote Republican today, in my opinion. But with that said, the alarmism that it's the end of the world, no one will survive. We've got Andre the Giant out there in his Holocaust cloak screaming, there will be no survivors. Like That stuff, it's just, it's not the case. It's not the case. Okay, politics matter, but you know what matters more? Pretty much everything else in your life, really. <laughs> politics does matter. I, I spend my life doing it. But again, I think it's imperative to recognize 
that politics only matters insofar as people are trying to control your life from above. So we should all be fighting for the same thing, which is for people to leave us alone. With that said, we are now into the final pitch. The final day is here. It has arrived. Let them fight. So the, the final pitch from President Trump is basically, yeah, it would probably be better if I talked about the economy. Sure, it would be better if I were more uniting. But let's be real about this. Democrats aren't interested in uniting, so I'm going to troll the living hell out of them. That was basically Trump's closing message yesterday. He has talked about the economy. The the fact is that when people say Trump doesn't talk about the economy, he should be pitching the economy. He has talked about the economy pretty incessantly. But if you're the president of the United States and you say two things, one is the economy is great and the other is Stormy Daniels is a horse face. One of those things is probably going to get more attention than the other thing, just as a a matter of fact. Now, here here is... how Republicans could have run in this election. And this is not me saying that Republicans are going to do badly. Maybe they surprise everybody and do great tonight. The polls right now are showing that the the poll average, at least from 538, has Democrats up about nine in the generic ballot. The Real Clear Politics poll average has Democrats up about eight in the generic ballot. I think that Republicans are going to do slightly better than that because in every midterm election since 2002, the Real Clear Politics poll average has overpolled Democrats. This is true in 2006 when it said that Democrats were going to have about a 10-point advantage, they finished with a 7-point advantage. It was true in 2010, when they said that Republicans were going to have about a 5-point advantage, it turned into a 7-point advantage. It happened again in 2014, when they said Republicans had about a 3-point advantage, and it was a 7-point advantage. So it is possible that the polls are systemically undercounting Republicans. Again, that is a possibility. But with all of that said, if you had to put betting money on tonight's election, you would suggest that Democrats take the House fairly easily. If you look at the 538 analysis, this is Nate Silver's group, the 538 analysis, and I think data are appropriate to analyze, the analysis suggests that in the sort of 80 percentile range of certainty is the Democrats win somewhere between 21 and 57 seats, which is a very broad range. But remember, Democrats only need to win 23 to take the House. That means that it's very unlikely that Republicans keep the House at this point. If I had to put money on it, I would be saying 35 seats and above for Democrats in the House. Republicans pick up maybe one, maybe two seats in the Senate. Because three weeks ago, I think the math was a little bit different, but the narrative over the past three weeks has not been good for Republicans. And again, President Trump's final pitch is a pretty polarizing one, which may get more Republicans out to the polls, but will also bring more Democrats out to the polls. Here's what the election could have been. So Rush Limbaugh did a rally for President Trump in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is Rush's hometown. Uh, And I've never seen Rush do anything like this before, which is it's a pretty amazing showing by, by Rush, right? Rush doesn't tend to do this sort of thing. Sean Hannity also showed up uh, to, to cover the event, but then he ended up on stage pumping President Trump, which, again, a lot of folks are very upset at Sean Hannity for doing this. Here's my feeling. Who cares? Really, this is my feeling, because was anyone unaware that Sean is a big President Trump fan? Like, so what? It seems not inappropriate to me. If, if I saw Al Sharpton campaigning for Barack Obama, he's a host on MSNBC. If I saw Chris Hayes campaigning for Elizabeth Warren, I wouldn't be shocked. If I saw, frankly, if I saw Anderson Cooper campaigning for, for Hillary Clinton, that would not have shocked me in any way because we all know where everybody stands in partisan fashion. In any case, Rush points out that President, he's at Trump's rally and he says, listen, the, the, the fact is that Democrats talk about us being divisive. They are the ones who are divisive. They never accepted the fact that they lost. And of course, Rush is correct about this. The president and all of us have been labeled by some Democrats in the media divisive. Divisive? The Democrats haven't even accepted they lost the election in 2016. That's what this is all about. 
Okay, and of course, Russia's correct about this. When it comes to divisiveness, Democrats had a patent on this before President Trump. President Trump is divisive. And this is the point that I'm going to make here, is that regardless of how the election goes, the best election strategy would have been to run on success. Here's President Trump trying to do that a little bit yesterday. He said that with the economy this good, we should be able to have some electoral success here. Well, it's almost not understandable. We have the best economic numbers ever to come out. You know, we have probably the best economy that any president's ever had when he ran for office. We have the best economy that there has ever been, let alone for an election. So I think we're going to have tremendous success tomorrow. I think it's going to be great. Okay, that would be a solid pitch. It would also be a solid pitch to talk about how Republicans have improved other aspects of American life. There's a good piece in the New York Post today by Mary Vaught talking about Republicans' impact on health care. Now, her husband, Russ, is deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, but she's also the mother of a child with a life-threatening genetic disease, so she has a stake, obviously, in the health system, as all of us do. She says, the administration has made expanded access to prescription drugs a top priority. In the fiscal year that ended on September 30th, the FDA okayed 971 generic drugs, which is a record, breaking the old mark of 937 approvals set just last year. Compare that to the 651 greenlit in 2016 under Obama and 492 the year before that under Barack Obama. The more rapid approval of generic drugs has an impact on patient wallets, which of course is true. Also, the administration has expanded access to more coverage options, including short-term plans. Individuals who can't afford Obamacare actually now have more alternatives with more reasonable rates. So there are a lot of victories that Trump gets to account for in his first two years, but that is not what we're talking about. Instead, what we are talking about is the trollery. And that's because this has been sort of an endemic problem to being conservative in the Trump era, which is that trollery is really enjoyable. Right? Trolling the other side and watching them explode is really enjoyable. And listen, there's a whole line of memes that are dedicated to me destroying the left. Right? There's a whole line of, of videos of me destroying the left. Now, I think that those videos are useful insofar as they are generally done in the context of a civil discussion. But the right has fallen in love with the idea of owning the left and driving them batty. And they're not wrong that when the left looks batty, they do worse in electoral terms. But when Republicans do the wrong thing in order to drive the left batty, that is not helpful either. President Trump could have walked that line. He has not really walked that line. So here's President Trump doing what President Trump does best, which is speaking from the hip. He says, listen, I'd love to unite, but um, no. The fact is, I shouldn't say this because I want to unite. I do eventually want to unite. But the fact is, we're driving them crazy. We're driving them crazy. They don't know what to do. They're going loco, loco. Yeah, so there's that uniting language that we all hear about. Now, again, in a second, I'm going to get to the Democrats and the great lie that the Democrats are pushing forward, which is that they are the uniting party. The thing about Trump and, and the reason people like Trump is because Trump does strip away a lot of the pretense from politics. And Trump says, uh, all of it, like Barack Obama used to stand up there and go, I'm a uniter. I love to unite people. Also, Everyone who disagrees with me is a jerk. They're all jerks. They're the worst. And that was Obama's shtick. Trump gets up there and he's like, listen, I'd love to unite people, but I don't care. It's hilarious. And it's like, okay, fair. All right. But is it a great electoral strategy? You know, here's the thing. When you drive people crazy, they do tend to vote more often. When you make people angry, they do tend to vote more often. Sanguine people don't vote. Angry people tend to vote more often. But this, of course, is also what gets Trump's base out there. So tonight we're going to find out whether Trump actually has a movement or whether the 2016 election was a moment in time. And I don't mean that Trump has to win overwhelming victories in order for us to say that he has a movement. And what I mean by a movement is something above and beyond sort of normal Republican voting. 
Now, the, the theory in 2016 was that Trump had put together this brand new coalition that was dominant in American politics, reshifting the center, rejiggering all of our assumptions about politics. And there was a data point, and the data point was the 2016 election. But a data point is not a fact pattern. And so the question tonight is going to be whether that data point starts to look like a fact pattern. So in a second, I want to talk about what would make it look like a fact pattern, and we'll talk about other stuff that President Trump said to double down on this particular attitudinal movement in one second. First, let's talk about the air quality in your home. So you're walking around your house, and you're hacking up a lung, and you don't know why. Well, one of the reasons is because you were too lazy to check your air filters. I know. You don't want to sit here talking about your air filters. It's election day, but here's the reality. If you're not thinking about your air filters, you're making yourself less healthy. High pollution levels lead to significant drops in test scores with language and arithmetic, the average impact equivalent to having lost an entire year of education, according to a certain study out of China. Now we know what has been happening on America's college campuses and what could be happening to you, why you feel like a dummy. It's because you haven't changed your air filters. Well, maybe or maybe not, but you should check it out anyway because filterby.com is America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. Choose from over 600 sizes, including custom options that ship for free within 24 hours plus. They support working Americans. They manufacture all their filters right here in the United States. Save 5% when you subscribe for auto replacement, so you're never going to forget to change those filters ever again. It's not like you have to think about it again. Once you do it, you're done. Filter by will save you time and money. You'll breathe better. Apparently, you'll become smarter in the process. So stop procrastinating. That's filterbuy.com, filterby.com. Tell them that we sent you filterby.com. Again, tell them that uh, Ben sent you because I am Ben. Okay, so go check that out right now. As far as the as far as President Trump's, you know, re, what what it would take to make me think that President Trump has a movement beyond just the 2016 election, he doesn't have to hold the house. If the losses, the the average loss in terms of an off year election is usually, I want to say that it's about 27 seats, 26, 27 seats. If President Trump is able to hold this below 30 seats, if he's able to hold the losses in the house below 30 seats and Republicans are able to pick up another three or four seats in the Senate, then I will think that there is a strong, healthy Trump movement as opposed to just conservatives who see President Trump as their vehicle. And that'll be encouraging in some ways for 2020, for his reelection efforts. If, however, Trump underperforms and the Republicans lose the House in a sweep, and let's say they lose the Senate or they barely hold the Senate by maybe one vote, then you have to start thinking that Trump's base is up. Right? I mean, it's not like Trump's base is going to show up. They are going to show up. The statistics are showing they're going to show up. And Trump is pitching directly to his base. The, the, the specific proposal that was made by a lot of Trump acolytes in 2016 is that even though Trump lost the popular vote, he created this new coalition. And the new coalition was activated by him talking straight about issues that he found to be key. And so when he tweeted things that most political observers thought were crazy, that that was actually just an aspect of his genius and him catering to this new base that folks had misread. When he, said, when he makes his final closing pitch, about a migrant caravan that is currently 600 miles from the United States border. And people say, okay, well, that is going to you know, push him to victory because he has a secret connection, a, a great understanding of the public nobody else has. We're going to find that out tonight. We'll see that in the vote totals. Okay, but Trump obviously is doubling down on exactly that strategy. He's going to dance with the gal that brung him. And so here he was going after a protester. And listen, there is a charm to this. I'm not against President Trump being aggressive. My only question about Trump's aggressiveness is whether there is a way to channel it in more productive fashion. Because, listen, I'm a pretty aggressive dude myself politically. I'm no stranger to flipping off protesters. There, but the question is, you know, and, and I think the question's been answered, does President Trump have any interest in hemming himself in and using his aggressiveness in channeled ways? I think the answer is probably no. 
But that's what makes him amusing to his supporters. So here's President Trump going after a protester at his rally last night. All right, get him out of here, please. Get him out. 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 Go home to mommy. Go home to mommy. Okay, and of course, this is how the right feels about these protesters who show up and start screaming. And President Trump didn't stop there. He also went after Elizabeth Warren again, called her Pocahontas, and then he explained he's never going to stop calling her Pocahontas, because why would he? Because I can't really legitimately call her Pocahontas anymore because the press will say I'm misrepresenting. Okay. Okay. I'll call her Pocahontas anyway. <laughs> but Trump's playing to a crowd, right? The dude knows how to play to a crowd. So the question is, will playing to a crowd actually redound to his electoral benefit? We're going to find that out tonight. Now, President Trump is already kind of preemptively reacting to the idea that the Democrats might win the House. Here was his response to the idea that Democrats are going to investigate every aspect of his life and hold up his business. Here's what he said. What he said is he doesn't care. We will have to work a little bit differently. I don't think that's going to happen. He said that he doesn't care about their investigations. They can do whatever they want and I can do whatever I want, which is, you know, we'll find out. That's a, a lot of confidence from the president. Okay, so Trump's final pitch is, my base will, will take me through this. My base will take me through. The Democrats' final pitch is sort of bifurcated. So the Democrats have one pitch that is directed toward their base, and then they have one pitch that's directed at the broader American public. The pitch that is directed at their base is, we will be just as aggressive as Trump, we'll be just as mean as Trump, we'll be just as nasty as Trump. And then the, and then the pitch that is directed toward the general public is, we are nice happy, wonderful people. We are innocent in American politics, like newfound babies lying in a basket at a church door left there. Won't you adopt us and make us your own? Right, so these are the, the two pitches the Democrats are making. They're making them simultaneously. So on the aggressive side, you've got folks like Maisie Hirono, senator from Hawaii, and she is, again, doing this. When they go low, we fight back. Remember, Eric Holder said, when they go low, we kick them. Here's Maisie Hirono saying the day before the election, when they go low, we fight back, which obviously... De but don't, don't worry, Democrats have never engaged in inflammatory rhetoric of any kind. But here's Maisie Hirono doing just that. He is throwing everything out there in, in trying to make sure that the midterm elections go the way he wants by not just dog whistles, but I would call it a bullhorn. And really, when, they, when he goes low, we have to fight back. Okay, so the Democrats are saying to their base, we are going to go as radical as you think we're going to go. Right? That's what's coming here. We're going to go radical. Cory Booker, he ridiculous senator from New Jersey. And I, I say ridiculous because in, in the dictionary, under the word ridiculous, is actually a picture of Cory Booker doing his jazz hands from a judicial hearing. Here is Cory Booker on Comedy Central. Again, amazing. It is ama truly amazing how all these guys get booked on late night television. I mean, I, I know. It's, Democrats must just have superior bookers. It can't be media bias. It must be the Democrats have just great bookers, like Cory Booker. And here is Cory Booker talking about how the criminal justice system is a cancer on the soul of our country. Yeah, they're not radical at all, gang. And what angers me is before we even had a Donald Trump elected, we had a cancer on our soul of our country, a criminal justice system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than poor and innocent. Uh, that is not true. Uh, that's not accurate. I've worked in a prosecutor's office. In the prosecutor's office, we prosecuted a guy who was one of the founders of gene therapy for, sexual for alleged sexual molestation of a next-door neighbor and we refused to prosecute a bunch of cases involving poor, innocent people because that's sort of how our criminal justice system works. The number of actual innocent people who are walking through the doors of a criminal justice center, pretty low by percentage. In any case, 
the radicalism of the Democratic base is in the offing. It's, it's, it's obvious to anyone. There's a piece by David Graham over at The Atlantic talking about where the Democratic Party is moving on policy. And he says that the Democratic base has moved pretty radically to the left. He says, according to Pew data, 46% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning voters now identify as liberal, up from 28% 10 years ago. Meanwhile, the percentage who say they're moderates has dropped from 44 to 37. The number of conservatives continues to drop too. But those changes most likely reflect the exodus of right-leaning Democrats as both parties become more ideologically homogenous. It doesn't necessarily mean there's been huge growth on the party's left wing. But when you look at the specific moves and specific policies among the Democratic Party faithful, you see a radical shift to the left. So I think this is correct. Here is The Atlantic. Digging into Pew's data on specific positions can provide a good sense of how Democrats are moving leftward on certain issues, especially immigration, economics, and race. Most astonishing is immigration. As Peter Beinart, who is terrible, has written, leaders in the Democratic Party have undergone a dramatic shift toward unalloyed support of immigration, including to a certain extent illegal immigration. In 1994, just 32% of Democrats said immigrants strengthened the country. Now 84% do. Right, so there's complete ideological homogeneity inside the Democratic Party on an issue of serious public controversy. Same thing on economics. Three quarters of Democrats say the government doesn't do enough to help poor people up from half in 1994. Two thirds say government should regulate business more up from half in 1994. In 1994, two thirds of Democrats said people could get ahead if they were willing to work hard. Now only half do. Right, so they're moving dramatically. And on race, it's the same thing. I'll discuss that in just one second. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. So you haven't been sleeping well. I know, don't lie to yourself. You haven't been sleeping well. The reason you haven't been sleeping well is because you're a unique human, and yet your mattress is made for a generic human who does not exist and who is not you, which is why you need to go over to Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete. They use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or a firm bed, with Helix, there's no more guessing and no more confusion. All you have to do is go to helixsleep.com slash Ben, take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, Helix can even split that mattress right down the middle, providing individual support needs and feels for each side of, of your marriage. My wife and I have a Helix Sleep mattress. We did the two-minute sleep quiz. It came in the mail. We unwrapped it and inflated. We popped it on the bed. It was good to go. It's terrific. Right now, Helix is offering up to 125 bucks off all mattress orders. All these mattresses, by the way, have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, so you're not losing anything. Get up to 125 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben for 125 bucks off your mattress order. Again, helixsleep.com slash Ben. Go check it out. So, as I say, Democrats have been making a dual pitch. Pitch number one is to their base. We are going to be as radical as you want us to be. See, the difference is that Trump is only making one pitch. I'm Trump. Right? His pitch is basically, look at me. This is me. I love me. Bask in it. Right? That, that's, Trump's pitch is more honest than the Democrats' pitch in certain ways. The Democrats' pitch is, to their base, we're going to be super, super radical. We're like Nancy Pelosi, but on speed. And then, to the rest of America, we are standing for truth and dignity. We are like insurance salesmen. We're, we're like Allstate. You're in good hands. Right? There's this kind of two-faced campaign that's been going on. The Democratic Party base is obviously resonating to the super progressive message. And you can see with each one of the candidates that they're pushing, like Beta O'Rourke is being, quote-unquote, mainstream. As I mean, he is really, really far left. Andrew Gillum is even further left, the future governor of Florida, perhaps. God forbid. Right? Andrew Gillum is a radical leftist, like a Bernie Sanders radical leftist. And he is being treated as a mainstream political figure who wants to unify Florida, even as he calls Ron DeSantis a racist refugee from the KKK. 
That's because the Democratic Party base is radical. We talked about they're radical on immigration, they're radical on economics, and they're radical on race too. The percentage of Democrats who say the government needs to do more to fight racism has risen from, 50, from 57% to 81% since 2009, which is kind of amazing because I remember when we elected a black president twice and we were told that that was the beginning of the healing of America. In 1994, four in 10 Democrats said that racial discrimination was the main reason black people couldn't get ahead. In 2017, more than six in 10 did. By the way, if you actually, if, if you think, if you changed your mind and you think now that racial discrimination is worse for black folks than it was in 1994, you're crazy. You're crazy. But the reality is the reason that this has shifted is because the, demo, the demographics of the Democratic Party have changed, as The Atlantic points out. Non-college educated whites have shrunk as a portion of the base by 20%, meaning blue-collar whites fled the Democrats because of intersectionality, and they have picked up big in kind of highly educated areas, people who have gone to four-year colleges and grad programs because those people tend to come out on the left. And they also have picked up heavily in minority demographics. So what this Atlantic article points out is that the Democrats are actually right of their own base right now. The Democrats, believe it or not, as scary as that seems, Nancy Pelosi is actually to the right, and so is Chuck Schumer, of the Democratic Party base right now, which means that the radicalism that the Democrats are trying to hide from the general public is very much present with their base. So as I say, there have been two messages. Message number one is, we got radical and we will do everything we can to change this country. And message number two is, we are all American as apple pie. Pushing that message today is Paul Krugman, who's been writing the same column repeatedly. I feel like I've been reading Paul Krugman's column over and over, and it's the same column, just kind of projected through a kaleidoscope. In any case, Paul Krugman's final pitch is, of course, Republicans are evil and we are awesome. And he, point, and he suggests, this is literally the title of his column, Last Exit Off the Road to Autocracy. Okay, so it, I find it hilarious that the media are suggesting that Donald Trump is an alarmist on politics. It's true, but you know who else is an alarmist? Your Nobel Prize winning columnist at the New York Times who legitimately just suggested that autocracy is on its way. At the end of democracy on its way. We played a clip of Bill Maher yesterday. Bill Maher said the same thing. I love this. They're, they're very angry because in Georgia, Brian Kemp is the Republican Secretary of State and he oversees elections and he's running against Democrat Stacey Abrams and he has purged a lot of names from Georgia's voting rolls. The reason he's purged those names is because they include people who have shifted addresses and not actually re-registered. It's people who are dead. It's people who have moved out of state. And not only that, there are a bunch of people who didn't register properly and they were purged from the voter rolls because they didn't register properly. But according to, according to Paul Krugman, this is all an attempt to get rid of the votes. Now, this is just another version of the same argument the Democrats made in 2004 with John Kerry, suggesting that the Diebold machines had been hacked. And the reason Democrats are losing is because something nefarious is going on with the voting population. That it's voter suppression that is preventing the, the victory of Democrats. It's not voter suppression. Black Americans particularly, Democrats have claimed are being suppressed. Black voters in 2008 and 2012 voted far out of proportion to their actual proportion of the population. So that is not actually happening. But Paul Krugman suggests that we are at the end of democracy. He says, voting restrictions are almost entirely a Republican thing. As always, Democrats aren't saints, but they appear to believe in democracy while their opponents don't. Really? This is where we're going, Paul Krugman? Republicans don't even believe in the fundamentals of our democracy? Listen, if you're really, if you believe this, if you're on the left and you believe that Republicans don't even believe in the fundamentals of the democracy and they are out to steal elections through rigging the ballot box, you should pick up a gun and you should start going to war. Really, because that, that is a coup, right? That's an actual coup that you're talking about. But you don't have the balls for that. So instead, you're going to sit around and whine about how elections don't always go your way. And then tomorrow, 
as soon as if Democrats do well, tomorrow it will be, look at this beautiful American election system. Look at how wonderful our election systems are. Look how honest and God-fearing Americans are. Amazing how this will shift. Uh, it, Paul Krugman finishes, with the crucial moment here, everyone should bear in mind what's at stake. It's not just tax cuts or health coverage. And anyone who votes based simply on those issues is missing the bigger story. For the survival of American democracy is on the ballot. The survival of American democracy is on the ballot. Listen, I didn't like this crap when I was getting it from the right and the left in 2016. Oh my God, if Trump doesn't win, the country's over. Oh my God, if Hillary Clinton doesn't win, the country's over. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Okay, and this crap where you say stuff like the survival of American democracy is on the ballot. Really, does Paul Krugman really believe nobody's going to vote in 2020? Is that what he thinks? Does he really think that the direction of the country is that there will be no more democracy if Republicans retain a majority in the House and the Senate? Have they ended democracy over the past few years? If not, why not? Apparently, they're just as evil. They're willing to cram through alleged rapist, rapist Brett Kavanaugh. They're that evil. So why didn't they just end democracy then? This sort of alarmism is really, really terrible. I, I decry it when I see it on my own side, and it's much stronger on the left than it is on the right these days. You know, you know how strong the alarmism is on the left? I'll give you some evidence. So I'm old enough to remember, like because I'm a month old, I'm old enough to remember when the Democrats thought that Brett Kavanaugh on the, on the Supreme Court was the worst thing that had ever happened to the United States. We were all going to die. Millions would perish in hell flame. And Brett Kavanaugh was a rapist. Then Republicans started investigating all of the actual allegations over time. The Senate Judiciary Committee released more information. And it turns out there's no information. It's weird. Like, you remember when uh, an alleged rapist got elected president of the United States, Bill Clinton, and the Republicans never stopped complaining about it? Isn't it weird how nobody talks about Brett Kavanaugh and it's like a month later? Because it was all ginned up. Right? A lot of it was ginned up by some folks on the left. Now, there are some people who I think had legitimate concerns. I think that was minority. I think the people in political power were trying to gin things up for alarmist purposes because that's what they do. Okay, in just a second, I want to talk a little bit more about this. Also, the media's role in how this election plays out in just one second. But first, let's talk about how you can cook better tonight. So you don't want to go to a restaurant. It's too expensive. And not only that, it's a hassle to schlep your kids in the car where they're just going to throw stuff at each other. Instead, it is better to stay home and cook a meal with your family. But that entails you having to go to the grocery store and get ingredients and buy too much and throw out the extra. Or you could just subscribe over at Blue Apron. Blue Apron delivers farm-fresh ingredients and step-by-step -step recipes to your door. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. They achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, building a community of home chefs. Here's how it works. You let Blue Apron do the meal prep for you. It's dinner in as little as 20 minutes. You choose chef-designed recipes. They deliver fresh, seasonally-inspired ingredients. You can cook these meals in as little as 20 minutes, and these are gourmet meals. Every week, at least three recipes are built with your busy schedule in mind where Blue Apron has done the meal prep for you. That's the sauces, the spices, the ingredients. The whole shebang. Blue Apron offers a range of recipes bursting with flavor. Whether you're looking for quick and easy meals or full culinary cooking experience, Blue Apron lets you choose from a range of recipe options. Folks around the office have been using Blue Apron for years. They just love it. Check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals for free at blueapron.com Shapiro. That's blueapron.com Shapiro to get your first three meals for free. Blueapron.com Shapiro. Blue Apron is indeed a better way to cook. I mean, I'm looking at these meals right here. Sometimes I wish I didn't keep kosher. I mean, you're looking at things like hot Italian sausage pizza with roasted peppers and olives, beef and broccoli and cumin spiced sauce, hearty vegetable grain bowl with avocado and creamy fig dressing. I'll be honest, that last one doesn't sound as good as any of their meat dishes, but these are all awesome. Go check them out right now, blueapron.com slash Shapiro. 
Okay, so I do want to get into the latest report from the Senate Judiciary Committee. And also, I want to get into the media bias that's been evident throughout the selection cycle and that continues on a day-to-day basis. But for and, and a quote from Barack Obama, I just have to play it for you. So a lot coming up. But you actually have to go over to Daily Wire to subscribe. Why should you subscribe? Besides the fact that I'm asking you to, that I'm begging you to. Because you need to join us tonight. Because starting at 5 p.m. Pacific, we have the Daily Wire backstage election special. I could not be less excited about it. God King Jeremy Boring, me, Andrew Claven, the execrable Michael Knowles, they will all be smoking and infusing my lungs with cigar ash, which will later cause my death from lung cancer. Alicia Krause will be here covering all the latest election news as it happens. Plus, we'll even be getting Twitter updates from our own Cassie Dillon and Colton Haas, the young guns. So you won't want to miss this. As always, only I'll want to miss it, but you won't. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask the questions. So make sure to subscribe today. If I'm going to put myself through the hellish situation of watching this election live on television for you, the people, then you should show up. Okay, so show up and pay us money. Go check it out, $99.99 a month. You get the rest of the show live, and you also get to be part of our mailbag on Fridays. You get to be part of the election special, all sorts of goodies. When you get the annual subscription, you get this, the very greatest in all beverage vessels. I have yet to hear a complaint that I find credible about the leftist tears hot or cold tumbler because it is indeed that spectacular. Now, there have been allegations made about this tumbler, but those allegations have been unverified and unverifiable. No location, no time, no date. Okay, so you're going to have to go check it out yourself. Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumblr. $99 a year, you get the annual subscription. Or check us out at iTunes, YouTube. Please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help with the rankings over there. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So if Democrats really believed that our democracy was at stake, they might you know, still be banging on the Brett Kavanaugh drum. Remember when two weeks ago they were saying they were going to impeach him? Remember how that went all away? Well, the reason it all went away is because on Friday, the Senate Judiciary Committee released a 414-page document presenting its summary report and exhibits regarding the allegations against Kavanaugh. In the 28-page summary of its findings, the committee explained that after speaking with 45 individuals and taking 25 written statements, it did not find any evidence to substantiate or corroborate any of the allegations against Kavanaugh. Yeah, weird how that works. Weird how that works. But we're going to the, the Democrats are willing to destroy that guy's life simply for political purposes. We should definitely give them power. I don't see how that goes wrong in any, in any possible way. Okay, so as I say, Democrats have made two separate pushes. Push number one to their own base. We're radical. We're going to do radical stuff. Push number two to the general public. We are the nicest people you will ever meet. And those cruel, mean, awful, terrible, no good, very bad Republicans, we have to act as a check on them. Stephen King, in fact, tweeted out something today about this. Now, Stephen King, the, the horror novelist, is also a horror on Twitter. And for some reason, he finds it necessary to tweet idiotically about politics on a fairly regular basis. He, he tweeted, Donald Trump is a runaway horse and we're all on board. Vote Democrat tomorrow. Let's put a bit in his mouth and rein him in. First question, can you be on board a horse? I'm not, I'm not from horse country. I won't say that I'm an equestrian. But I'm pretty sure you can't be on board a horse. Second, how do 325 million people fit on a horse? Third, if you think the Democrats are going to rein Trump in, and that, that's their only mandate. Their only mandate is to basically stop Trump's excesses. That's obviously not true. Their, their mandate is to push as radical policy as they possibly can to undermine any sort of gains that Trump has made and then to aim for 2020, which is really what this whole thing is about, is getting rid of Trump in the long run. But the pitch that they are making to the public and the one that apparently is having some effect with suburban women, and this is where 
you know, Trump appealing to his base plays into the Democrat plan is Trump doing the, I'm Trump, look at me. You guys are all crazy. <laughs> and that, that routine, it doesn't help with suburban women, which means that the Republicans who are most likely to get ousted this year are Republicans in purple districts. Here's Barack Obama making the final appeal to those people. And you can also see why Barack Obama trolled the right. So Trump trolls the left. Barack Obama trolled the right. That's how he got Trump in the first place. Here's, here's Barack Obama. But most importantly, the character of this country is on the ballot. Who we are is on the ballot. What kind of... What kind of politics we expect is on the ballot. How we conduct ourselves in public life is on the ballot. How we treat other people is on the ballot. Nope. None of those things are on the ballot. Not one of those things are on the ballot. Obama sitting there and telling me about how class and decency are on the ballot. You know, th this from a guy who... who unleashed his vice presidential candidate to say that Mitt Romney was going to put black people back in chains? Yeah, I, I, no. The answer is no. I don't buy that. You don't buy it. Nobody buys it, which is how you got Trump in the first place. But that also does play into Obama's new pitch, which is, I know that you've forgotten all about me. I know you think I'm irrelevant now, but weren't things so nice and friendly back then? They weren't nice and friendly back then, but a lot of people have really short memories. I mean, this is the key to American politics. Everybody has a short memory. Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings were like a month ago. Hey, nobody even remembers when Barack Obama was president. That was at least three lifetimes ago. In that lifetime, I was a colonel in the Prussian army. I mean, the, the, the Barack Obama they can count on the fact that nobody remembers that he was a deeply divisive and polarizing figure. And so he can say stuff like this and then point to Trump, who is a deeply divisive and polarizing figure, and say, we will unify the country again. And when he says stuff like the character of the country is on the ballot, who we are is on the ballot, the implication is, if you don't, th you know, this is one of my favorite things. When folks say on election day, Everybody should go out and vote. You know, it's your civic duty to go out and vote. I want everybody, look at the beauty of American democracy. Everybody going and voting. It's just great. I want you to go vote. Wait, you voted for the other guy? You are the worst person I have ever heard of. I cannot believe you voted. Why in the world would you vote? Right, when people say everyone should vote, what they mean is everyone should vote who agrees with me. And Barack Obama is one of these. Right? I love that. The character of the country is on the ballot. Who we are is on the ballot, meaning if you vote for Republicans, then you're a bad person. What kind of politics we expect is on the ballot. How we conduct ourselves in public life, how we treat other people is on the ballot. Dude, you unleashed your own IRS in the, in the lead up to a midterm election against conservative 501c3s. You repeatedly lied to the American people. You suggested over and over again that Republicans were going to leave you starving in the street because of their welfare and healthcare policies. Like, it's just, it's so galling to hear politicians. Th this is why Trump was refreshing. It is also why Trump is scary to a lot of particularly suburban female audiences. The, the gender gap in this election is really, really bad. Um, and it's, and, you know, I think it's going to get worse because the Democrats, again, are being, they're able to play this two-faced game, by the way, because the media are complicit. So now let's get to the media because the media's role in this election cycle has just been horrific. It is obvious that the media are worth from five to 10 points in every election cycle for the Democrats. They spend all day, every day, blasting these Democratic messages. Nowhere at any point. Like, how long did that scandal last with Heidi Heitkamp, the senator from North Dakota, who actually revealed the names of alleged sexual assault victims in order to push her campaign? Did that scandal last more than five seconds? I, nobody's talking about it. Andrew Gillum's corruption scandal. Has that been on the front pages? I haven't seen it. All I've heard is that he's a great candidate. Beto O'Rourke. And have you, meanwhile, have you heard about John James in Michigan? You know, the black 
for the, the black veteran, military veteran, who's running for Senate in Michigan? Haven't heard a word about him. Nope, you haven't. Have you heard about Young Kim? The first, she would be the first Korean congresswoman uh, in America. And it would, is, has there been any talk about her at all? Uh, nope, not, not a word, because she's a Republican. And so let's talk about the media and, and the media's role in all of this. So I do find it absolutely hysterical that the media on the left are so all fired upset with Sean Hannity for campaigning for President Trump. At least Sean's honest enough to just get up on the stage and do it. All these other folks are not. All these other folks pretend that they are objective or that they ha- are, are at a distance from these elections. They don't, they really are not. Okay, so let's take the prime example. So yesterday, John James, a candidate who I mentioned, is running for Senate in Michigan. He's a terrific, terrific candidate. Uh, you know, he's, he's running a little bit behind. I would love nothing better than to see him join the U.S. Senate. He'd be a terrific addition to the body. Uh, but John James was called by a reporter, and the reporter left a message on his machine. Then the reporter forgot to hang up the phone. Whoops. Here's what happened after the reporter was supposed to hang up the phone. And um, suffice it to say, reporters are not unbiased. If you'd like to call me back, my, my number is 989. Thank you. Man, if he beats her, Jesus. John James. That would suck. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Effing John James. If he beats her, man. All these reporters have a stake. Okay, these reporters have a stake. If you think that the folks over at CNN are not openly rooting, openly rooting for the Democrats to take the House and to take the Senate and to oust President Trump, you're out of your mind. And it, would, it wouldn't matter, by the way. They, they were openly rooting. They, they've been doing this for as long as I can remember. The media coverage of John Kerry in 2004 was just abysmal for Republicans. It's the same thing in 2008 with John McCain and Barack Obama. The, the, the media's willingness to cover for virtually any mistake made by Democrats and to go after virtually any sin committed by Republicans is extraordinary. It's truly extraordinary. Because in the end, the media are not defenders of the truth. The media are defenders of the media. And they all want to go home at night and they want to sleep at night knowing that they've made the world a better place. Their polls of journalists, and, and this is legitimately what it says, that polls of journalists, uh, well, actually, it's not even polls of journalists. I remember, I was in the ABC News studios in New York at one point, and there was a slogan on the wall. It was literally painted on the wall. And the slogan says, I'll paraphrase, so I don't remember the exact wording. It said something like, journalists are here to make the world a better place. And I thought to myself, that is not what journalists are here to do. That is not the role of journalists. Now, journalists may make the world a better place by exposing people to facts that they did not otherwise have access to, but the role of the journalist is not to do that any more than the role of the judge is to do justice. And Oliver Wendell Holmes, justice on the Supreme Court, is a very famous story in which Oliver Wendell Holmes was at a dinner party and he was in the middle of deciding a crucial case and he gets in his carriage and as he gets in his carriage, the, this, this guy rushes up to him and he says, Justice Holmes, I implore you, do justice, sir. And Holmes looks back at him and he says, that's not my job. Because that's not his job. His job is to interpret the law, right? Well, if you're a journalist, it is not your job to, quote unquote, make the world a better place. We have activists for that. We have churches and communities and people and lots of other jobs for that. Your job is to go out there and cover the facts. That's your job. But journalists don't see it that way. And this is how they get swelled heads. Because if you actually believe that your job was just to go out there and cover the facts, then the only egotistical sort of self-congratulatory backpatting that you could do would be based on breaking a story. But you certainly wouldn't feel like better about yourself just for sitting there and yelling at a particular politician because that's activism. That's not actually journalism. 
This is why when folks look at Jim Acosta and he pretends to be a journalist, we're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Here is Jim Acosta, for example, at a Trump rally last night. Look, Jim Acosta sees himself as a celebrity and Jim Acosta sees himself as, I mean, if you can tell me the real difference between Jim Acosta and Donald Trump, you're going to have to enlighten me because this is a very Trumpian activity. Here's Jim Acosta last night on CNN writing signs to mock the crowd, basically. He's holding up a sign that says, CNN is real news. And then he signed it, Jim Acosta. Right, like, okay, like th th this is, you're a reporter, dude. You're a reporter. By the way, I will note that there are a bunch of Trump fans there and they're all there being nice to Jim Acosta, right? He's never going to talk about that on the news. He'll talk about how Trump people were mean to him. He'll never talk about the people reaching across the, the barrier there to try and shake his hand. The good news is, in the end, there's one group of people we can always count on. Uh, the, the, we can always count on to, to tell us what to do and whose advice we can always follow. This is celebrities, of course. And last night, there was a telethon. Judd Apatow, Pharrell, a bunch of anti-Trump celebrities who are telling people to vote. It's a voting telethon. And um, I know that it made me want to vote. It, it, it did make me want to vote, but not how they want me to vote. Here's some of that epic telethon. So we are, I'm in the phone banks right now. Um, I've been just kind of running around saying hi to everybody. Everyone, look, all these people have, uh, you know, have voters on the line. So make sure to check your voicemails. Make sure you're by your phones because we have all of our celebrities who are calling you, calling you guys for voting and getting your voting squad all together. Oh, there's Tom Arnold in the background. Yeah, our buddy Tom Arnold. Anyway, there's Olivia Munn. This is, this is the most boring telethon I've ever seen. Uh, it, it's amazing, all these people who are supposedly good at TV and they can't put together a decent telethon for, for voting. Pretty amazing. But this is, the, in, in the end, let's remember, voting is, voting is great. Elections are great. It's a tribute to our country. Also, we are ridiculous people who each day stray further from the light of God. Um, and thus, we should recall that the only way for this to stop being the case is if we wake up to the fact that clubbing each other over the head with frying pans is not a superior system to recognizing that the government ought to leave us all alone so we can go about our daily business and not have to worry about the opinions of any of the people I've listed on this show. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like today. Sometimes somebody puts in so much effort, you just have to pay tribute to them. And this is the case with a fellow who put together a video on YouTube that is just, it's pretty spectacular. So, in X-Men Days of Future Past, there is a scene in which a character, Quicksilver, who's sort of like the Flash for DC, but he's uh, in Marvel, so he's you know, super duper fast, where th there's a scene where he is running around a kitchen fighting bad guys, but he's faster than all of them. So he's kind of running around, and they're in slow motion, so he kind of like plants one of their fists against their own face. So they punch themselves in the face. He has one of them shoot the other one, and he, and he throws a frying pan so that when time speeds up again, then the frying pan will clock the guy in the head. Somebody took that scene and cut a, a fully computer animated version of that scene, except with me as Quicksilver being protested by a bunch of Antifa types. And it's pretty, it's pretty well done and it's pretty funny. So here's a little bit of that. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do is to save every day. Eternity passes away just to spend oh, well, there I am, 
and then there's a guy holding up a sign that says, Shapiro is a fascist, his sign has now been replaced with, I wet my bed in Bowlin Brand sheets. <laughs> Pretty spectacular. Uh, okay, well, you can go watch the whole thing on YouTube. We'll, we'll also try to post a link on, I think I tweeted it out yesterday. It's really funny, so go check it out. Obviously, this is not an endorsement of violence. It is an endorsement of placing me in famous movie scenes because that stuff's funny, man. Okay, other things that I like. So I do have to admit that Michael Moore's election analysis is kind of hilarious and wonderful. So Michael Moore is Michael Moore and requires no further explication. He was on MSNBC with Chris Hayes discussing this election. And he said, like, I think Democrats are going to win, but uh, Democrats have a way of losing elections they should win. And let me just say, if, in fact, Democrats do not take the House tonight, I will never I will never stop tuning into MSNBC. I just won't. It will just stay on a loop. So here, here is Michael Moore with Chris Hayes. Yes, this all could portend well, but but. The Democrats are professionals at losing elections that they win or should have won. And we are up against Republican Party. Okay, so he, he is he's right now. This is where I caution Republicans. And I say that, again, a data point is not a pattern. So we'll have to see what the election results are like tonight before we say that there is a robust Trump movement that can outlast all the polls. The polls don't mean anything. A final note on that Chris Hayes, Michael Moore segment. We have that split screen again. I just want to make a, a quick note here that... You know, there are a lot of memes going around on Twitter. Me before the 2016 election, me after the 2016 election. This is Chris Hayes before the 2016 election, Chris Hayes after the 2016 election. Okay, time for a couple of quick things that I hate. So folks talked about this yesterday, but I was remiss because I thought there were more important things to talk about. Still, it does belong in things that I hate. So Pete Davidson is an alleged comedian for Saturday Night Live who apparently is also a big fan of Orange is the New Black uh, and stole Hillary Clinton's pantsuit. I don't know why exactly he's wearing a, 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 a shirt that makes him look like he's picking up roadside trash uh, on a furlough from the prison. But in any case, uh, he was going after Dan Crenshaw, who's a congressional candidate. Dan Crenshaw also happens to be a military veteran who lost an eye to an IED in Afghanistan and then proceeded to go back for further tours. Here is Pete Davidson, an idiot best known for dating Ariana Grande, uh, and now he will no longer be famous because he's no longer dating Ariana Grande, which means that his star has risen and fallen rather quickly. Uh, also, just, you know, as long as we're going after people's physical appearances, which is fair because he goes, you're going to hear him go after Dan Crenshaw's physical appearance. Pete Davidson looks like he sucks the lifeblood from small children as they sleep. I mean, that's just, he, he looks like a refugee from, from a vampire movie. There's, I mean, I'm sorry to break it to him, but I mean, as long as we're going to mock people's looks, Let's just go all in on this thing. So the plot in which Pete Davidson is a star, apparently, is that he was a vampire who was arrested for the murder of a, of a, a young virgin. After killing her and draining her of her blood, they arrested him and they put him in jail. And then they had him clean roadside trash, but he escaped to do bad comedy on SNL. That's the backstory of this clip. Here's Pete Davidson. This guy's kind of cool, uh, Dan Crenshaw. <laughs> Uh, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, you may be surprised to hear he's a congressional candidate from Texas and not a hitman in a porno movie. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. I know he lost his eye in, in war or whatever. <laughs> whatever. He lost his eye in war or whatever. Right. Yeah. But like not or whatever in war to defend your stupidity. 
so that you could date Ariana Grande and then break up with her because you're a loser. So (laughs) So there's that. Dan Crenshaw, by the way, his response is all class. Here was Dan Crenshaw's response. This dude's an actual American hero as opposed to an undead vampire who has to hide from the sun because his skin sparkles. Here's Dan Crenshaw. Uh, you know, we don't need to be, we don't need to be outwardly outraged. I don't need to demand apologies from them. They can do whatever they want. But I would like him and Saturday Night Live to recognize something, which is that veterans across the country probably don't feel as though their wounds they received in battle should be the subject of a bad punchline for a bad joke. And, and here's the real atrocity of all this. It wasn't even funny, right? It was not original. It was not funny. It was just mean-spirited. And that's, that, that's how I feel about it. Okay, so, you know, good for Dan Crenshaw. You know, I, I, I agree. And I'm not in the call on Pete Davidson to make an apology business. I don't really care about this stuff. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm deeply disturbed. I do think it's indicative of a mindset of a bunch of people who have never met a military member. And it's obvious they've never met a military member. Really. I mean, the, the, it is one of the, the saddest things about American life right now is that a very small percentage of folks in the United States have served in the military, which means a fairly small percentage of people, particularly on the coast, have ever met somebody who serves in the military or are friends with somebody who serves in the military. And that leads to making jokes like that, obviously. And that's not meant to, none of this is meant to excuse anybody on any side of the aisle who does this. I mean, I ripped Trump when he went after McCain for his military service. So I just find this sort of stuff really off-putting. Although I, I will say that at a baseline, I think Trump has more respect for the military than somebody like Pete Davidson probably does. Uh, so we'll, we will leave it at that. We'll, we'll leave Pete Davidson to his, to his, you know, presumably after this, he'll turn into a bat and, you know, go sleep upside down in a cave or something uh, or go back into the coffin uh, to, for, for the evening. So to, to recover from his, his long day. Uh, in any case, tonight, we'll be here with our election special. I expect you to be here too because misery loves company. And if I have to suffer here with Michael Knowles and Andrew Clavin and Jeremy Boring, and I have to be here for 1,000 hours watching election returns coming in and not be at home with my wife and children because it's like crossing Antarctica alone. If I have to be here, you should be here too. And you should, you should definitely become a member so that you can be part of the so-called party. Be there or be square. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 